I was listening to a podcast from the good folks over at Refine Labs, and they mentioned some of the fears businesses have when they're told that they should start creating podcasts and videos. Those top fears they listed are fear of failure, metrics they can't prove, lack of talent, and unnecessary quality standards. It was like they had been listening in on one of my recent calls where this gentleman was struggling with converting leads on his website. They were getting good SEO traffic and had a couple of ebook landing pages, but the views just weren't translating into actual leads. So I asked him two questions. The first question, are you posting or networking at all on LinkedIn? And then the other question was, are you willing to start doing podcast interviews with leaders from your target audience? He responded no to the LinkedIn question where I could tell he kind of knew that he should be spending some time there, but just hasn't for whatever reason. But the podcast question seemed to annoy him with some of the same fears that I had just listed because his two follow-up statements included, well, uh, who's going to manage all of this? And I have to be able to tie it back to some kind of ROI. And this is where I think a lot of executives need to readjust their thinking. When we first set out to create content, especially in a new vertical like podcasts and videos, the real value comes in learning by doing, getting those reps in. I thought I knew what I was doing when I first started live streaming in 2014. And looking back, some of those shows were absolutely terrible. But when you keep at it consistently, study what works, what doesn't, how you can improve, finding new ways to post your content where your audience hangs out, These are all content tactics that have a way of snowballing for brand awareness and yes, leads. You're not going to be able to tie it to specific marketing metrics. Your first few shows are probably going to stink. You're going to have tech issues and you're going to have to find a way to fit this process into your work week. This is modern marketing. Our buying habits change, where we hang out in person changes, where we hang out online changes. Giving your marketing department or you, yourself, the freedom to trust the process and experiment is going to help you not only with what's working today, but transfer those tactics to other networks as our habits change in the future. Now, since I don't want this show to be all fluff about why content marketing is important, you likely already know that, but I wanted you to hear two segments on how content marketing is always teaching us new tricks, if we pay attention. The first example comes from Kevin Hill and I discussing on Freight Waves Put That Coffee Down, how Barstool Sports started up a fundraiser, didn't really have a full detailed plan in place, but they're figuring it out as they go and it's working to the tune of billions of impressions and ultimately millions of dollars being donated to small businesses all across the country. Let's take a listen. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that is, I mean, obviously a lot of businesses are struggling, especially small businesses all across the country, particularly restaurants, uh, salon owners, um, gym owners, you know, the, the, the really the heart of local communities are being forced to shut down. They're um, having to make all of these different changes to how their business operates in order to stay open and be accommodating and be safe to their patrons that, that are coming to their establishment. And Barstool Sports has done something that even the U.S. government has hasn't been able to do, and that is to get money 
from people who have it. And even if it's just a little bit and put it in the hands of those who actually need it. So what they've done is they've, it's been pretty, pretty incredible where a hundred percent of the proceeds go to small businesses in order to apply. You have to go to barstoolfund.com and with close to 150,000 people donating, they have raised close to $20 million and they're sending that money directly to all of the small business owners. So it's something that really caught my eye because the way they're kind of using this is that they're using user-generated content and they've set up a social media account that's gotten millions and millions of views. I think it's 1.57 billion impressions since this launched just a few weeks ago. And so what they're doing is the small businesses have to email Barstool in order to submit their case and tell them a little bit about their business. Because unfortunately, as much as they want to help everybody, they can't help everybody. And so once they go through a little bit of a vetting process, which is uh, essentially the Barstool staff that is going through and reading each one of the emails and putting them through their own filters and in order to move to the next step, then those businesses have to create just a small little video that sort of shows their staff, their business, the changes that they've made, tell their story. And so So once they have that, then they go through an approval process. And once they're awarded, the CEO of Barstool, or actually the owner of Barstool, Dave Portnoy, he reaches out via FaceTime, records the FaceTime, and awards that business with the funds. And so you get these instant reactions. Of course, a lot of the stories are really tear jerkers. Um, You have, you know, one instance where, you know, a a gentleman has a, a family business, a family pizzeria that has been forced to shut down. They made all these different accommodations in order to to, to have outdoor seating and then they're getting shut down again and he has just barely enough money to make it through the holidays and he was going to have to tell his staff that January, February, and March they were going to be shutting down and then he gets the call from Barstool that they got approved for funding up to $30,000 I, I believe for the first three mm-hmm. months keep them operational and it's just it's a really fantastic way of using user-generated content to do a fantastic thing and then share the stories of how you're helping and in addition to that you can go to the Barstool Fund website and you can watch all of these stories. They made a website specifically for it. So everybody that gets awarded, they have a profile on the page and then users, if maybe a story sticks out in particular more than another story, you can donate directly to that business. So they've set up all of these different parameters within their their content marketing machine. And it's really doing a, a great thing that even some of you know the, the world's most powerful government hasn't been able to quite figure out yet. And neither Fortune 500 companies as, as well. I mean, they, they cut out the middleman and uh, are, 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 it's a great marketing campaign, but it's a great service. And, and sometimes or oftentimes, those two are the, the same. You know, doing good promotes your business. It promotes your brand, your marketing. Uh, I, I, I need to go on there. I was on there a couple nights ago and, and didn't buy any gear, but they, they have the the, the I guess the, the the fund or the charity gear that, that you can buy, where all the net proceeds are donated to the, this cause, and I need to go in and, and buy a couple T-shirts uh, from that. So that's what I'll be doing later on tonight. 
but yeah, eighteen, uh, close to twenty million dollars now uh, of of just direct payments to small businesses that that need that. It forms that community. It, it really st- strengthens that quite a bit. And I was on Twitter last night. You know, I'm, I'm learning Twitter. It's my 21, <laughs> you know, my, my 21 uh, goals and, and New Year's resolutions. So I'm on there and and saw a, a tweet thread from Dave talking about how to build communities and mm. and how they built their communities. It's about a 12 part thread. It, it's very engaging. It, it's very uh, useful for for any salesperson, any marketer to, to go out how to build a community. So I. I, you know, so, so definitely go out and, and, and Google that or Twitter that. Um, get, get, find that on Twitter somehow. I don't know how you actually do it. Um, <laughs> but but you, you go out and you, you find that, and it's great, great knowledge on that. And it's really about building community, and it's just an outreach of that, building this small business uh, community that are your, your viewers, your audience, uh, your customers. And it's, it's such a good story because even, mm-hmm. you know, with all of the BS that's going on in the world, it gets down to the nitty gritty of when when things get tough, Americans help other Americans. And that's what's really sort of beautiful about this is that a lot of their, the majority of their donations that are coming in are in increments of five, 10, $20. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, people donating what they can. And then of course you have some of your bigger name personalities. So I think like Tom Brady, uh, Josh Allen, quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, Bills. They're, Barstool is a sports brand. And so they're getting these top dollar athletes mm-hmm. now to recognize and, and to know what they're trying to do. So they're starting to get more of the, the bigger dollars floating in. And if you donate directly to the fund, it's 100% of the proceeds go to small businesses. What other charity out there does that? I, I don't know of a single one where 100% of the proceeds, sometimes, you know, they'll talk about, you know, net proceeds or net revenue mm-hmm. or a percentage of the revenue. That's, you know, just fancy talk for not 100% of the revenue going to where it's intended to go. And I think from a, for me personally, I donated to it. And to see the stories that are coming out, I know where my money went. And I can have you know a little bit of sense of pride that, hey, I helped out with a few of these different small businesses with, you know, whatever I can donate. And, and I think it's just a beautiful story of, of how you can think outside of the box and you can use user generated content and everything that good that you're doing, you're showcasing and it only helps your brand in the long run. They, they talked about how they, they spent their entire holiday sort of limping into the holidays, just stressed like anybody else. And this time of the year, and then they decided to launch this and they just hit the ground running with it and put their machine behind it. And it's been one hell of an effort to get, you know, close to $20 million in just a few weeks time. It's really incredible. It is incredible. I'd like to see it. uh, It is going to grow over time, but coming back a month now, just just. I, I, I'm mm-hmm. really interested to see how much they, they can definitely raise. Uh, Liz Bolt, uh, hello from Kansas City, and Vittori Lika um, from Viva Transport, hello from North Carolina. So, uh, again, Bar, the, the Barstool Foundation, uh, what, what's the website for that, Blythe? It's barstoolfund.com. So that if you go there, you can see all of the stories I was talking about, um, different people that have been awarded. And what's what's really great is that these aren't just one-time donations. They're picking 
businesses that they're going to support. And they use the words until this all ends. So this is something that they're going to have regular support and they're going to need to keep this engine going for a little while. So it's going to be one of those things where you see these success stories and they're going to be able to keep the lights on for, you know, five or six months, however long, you know, these lockdowns Mm -hmm. tend to last depending, you know, state by state, but they're going to help them keep the lights on, which is the most important thing. How is that for an incredible story? Now, at the time of recording this, the Barstool Fund has raised more than $22 million with a ton of new merch added to their site, barstoolfund.com. A portion of the merch goes to the fund while the ability to straight donate to the fund where all of your proceeds go is also available. That's personally what I did felt really great knowing that I can follow along a lot of these businesses and 100% of my proceeds or 100% of my donation was going to small businesses. So some of the merch that I mentioned even has some of the businesses logo on it, which I think is really cool, especially for those of us who love to wear the companies that we support. It's a full circle level of content marketing. Now, in the next segment, I want to play for you is Kevin Hill and I discussing YouTuber Mr. Beast, how long he's made videos before blowing up, the topic of the video that led to him blowing up, and using his now explosive brand to generate and sell out the Mr. Beast burger. Take a listen. Let's talk about someone called Mr. Beast. And if you can fill in the backstory of who this YouTuber is, Mr. Beast, Blythe. So Mr. Beast started on YouTube at 12 years old, just making, you know, sort of funny videos. He's a streamer. So he started playing different video games, Call of Duty, Minecraft, and just streaming his experience playing those games on YouTube. And he wasn't finding that much success. And then he started really treating it as a business. So he would study with other, he would study other YouTubers, uh, network with YouTubers. They would try to figure out the formula and try to, to, to hack the algorithm rhythm, as they say. And so he had an idea for a random video one day, and he decided that he was going to film himself counting to 100,000. So he films this video, and that's the video that finally, years later, helps his profile take off. So since then, he's amassed millions of followers on YouTube. Uh, He really sort of, his messaging is to always invest back into his business. So he started securing partnerships partnerships deals with companies like Honey, um, which is the browser plugin that helps you save money on various different websites. And so with him in particular, he started using these opportunities to invest back into his business and then also invest in higher quality videos. So using that mantra, he's developed this massive profile. And just recently this week, he launched using ghost kitchens all around the country, Mr. Beast Burgers, and basically told these ghost restaurants, this is what we're going to serve. This is how we want them made. You can use Postmates, you know, Grubhub, all of these different delivery apps in order to get a Mr. Beast Burger. But what I thought was brilliant is that he filmed the reactions of the 
the crowds coming through his the, the, the location that he was actually at. And these cars were backed up for miles in order to get a free burger, which he, in addition, was also throwing in stacks of cash, like stacks of $1 bills and $100 increments he was putting in with every single burger. So not only were people getting free food, they were getting free money. So that caused like traffic to back up by about 20 miles. And it resulted in a ton of new awareness for his new business that he's, he's, joined into his new venture. And it's also amassed into more millions of followers and millions of fans. And just watching some of the reactions from people who are getting, you know, a stack of cash right before the holidays, especially maybe people who have been out of work, it, you could really see the enjoyment on their faces. And it's, it probably cost him maybe half a million dollars, but it's the ROI from that marketing campaign and just giving people money is really the ethos of how he's gained popularity. Because he was, it's not just the money that he was giving out, it was AirPods, iPads, and this is just a history of him giving away free products and investing back into his business. And it's, it's really paid off in the long run. So, so before I get to the hamburgers and Mr. Beast hamburgers, yeah, are you saying, and I, I don't know too much about Mr. Beast, so his most popular and what really made his fame is him counting from one to 100,000? <laughs> is, is, that, is, yes. is that what you said? <laughs> yes, that is how he gained notoriety or, or I guess a massive scale of no, notoriety is he literally counted to 100,000 on a video and that was the one that took off for him. And so because of the way the YouTube's algorithm works, the, where you get the majority of your views is in the recommendations bar in the autoplay. So you, you could be watching any video on YouTube and the autoplay that's going to come up next is where you get the majority of your views. So he's done a lot of work into even studying like what kind of titles work the best, um, creating your hook in the first 30 seconds, uh, using a specific kind of thumbnail for your video, all factors in into how you're placed in that recommendation algorithm. So that that has really been the key to his success, but it started off like a snowball effect with this video of him counting to 100,000. That is insane. I, I, that, that's how you can't really predict vir, vir, virality, I, I suppose, for, for posts. So here's a question for you, and I have my answer, but I want to hear your answer first. Quality over quantity. You know, I, I know we all want, want very good quality social media posts or, or videos, uh, but what's really more important, especially when you're starting out, quality or quantity? I would say I'm going to probably get crucified for saying this. I can't pick one or the other. I think it has mm -hmm. to be a combination of the two. And when you have a random idea like that, I, for example, I, I did a TikTok that that got that went viral and it got over 500,000 views and it's still cracking up views. But all it was is I ordered a product off of Amazon. I filmed myself unwrapping it and putting it. It was a, a, a a screen that you put and you hook onto your chair mm -hmm. and it creates a blurred background for you. So instead of getting those kind of cheap backgrounds and uh, cheaper looking backgrounds that other companies might have in their videos, this is just a straight background. So you can kind of blur out your, whatever you got going on. Maybe it's a dirty house. Maybe you got kids, <laughs> you know, remote learning. Um, so it basically blurs that out for your meetings. I did a quick 15 second video on this. And that's the one that took off, not the videos where I put a lot of insight into and, and, and it put a lot of research into, which I still, I still think you should do, but 
it was that quick video that took off. And I think that that sort of goes back to the lesson of is that you can't think too much about it. Just create, make it good, but don't put too much effort into it where a lot of marketers will say that you should spend 20% of your your marketing process on the content creation and 80% of your time on the actual distribution of that content. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. The 20% and and 80%, maybe it isn't quality over quantity, it is just going out and doing it. You know, doing it, not not putting a lot of a lot of thought or preparation into every single thing you do, not not ha- not making sure that everything you do is perfection, because you know if someone can get if someone's claim can, claim to fame can be him going from one to a hundred thousand, just counting, then <laughs> sometimes you don't have to put a lot of thought. Just go do it. Just go do it. Have fun with it. And if you do that all the time, you know, that frequency that you're talking about on social media posts, uh, you will gain traction. You'll gain an audience, a following, an email subscription list, uh, whatever method that is. Uh, You'll find it if you put out a lot of content, make it as good as possible, but you you don't necessarily have to spend a lot of time preparing and and writing it. Sometimes uh, three sentences work much more, much better than, uh, you know, uh, a thousand words. And it goes back to sort of the mantra of if you wait until something is perfect, you waited too long. Yes. And so from, from that perspective, I, I think, especially when we're creating content, sometimes we have a habit of getting in our own heads and thinking this isn't good enough when you should just be hitting publish. It's, it sounds very simple, but it's also very difficult. And it's very hard to sort of get past that, that mental barrier where just publish it. If you feel good about it, publish it. And, and I think that that is sort of the biggest lesson that I give to other creators is just hit publish. Yeah, that, that is the, the best thing. Just, just hit publish. Just go do it. Don't don't think about it too much because you're not going to be perfect. You don't know what you're doing a lot of times, especially at first. So why even worry about why, why even worry about knowing what you're doing? Just figure it out as you go. And, and, right, and let the audience tell you. Yeah. And, and, and that brings us up to the, 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 the next question, kind of revolving around Mr. Beast, because he has this huge presence. And then he went out and did ghost kitchens, which if you don't know what ghost kitchens are, they are industrial spaces where sometimes it's basically outsourcing a menu and someone preparing food and selling it under your brand. It's, it's almost like private label for uh, the d- food delivery market. So to be, to be able to, to make such a big splash, you have to have a following to, to begin with. So what is more most important to develop? That following, um, those eyeballs, that audience, that target market, whatever you want to call it, or an actual product? I think it's more difficult to develop an audience, but I don't know that you can develop a product without knowing what the audience thinks. So if you're out there trying to develop a product, the market research is going to be invaluable for you. And you're going to have to rely on other industry influencers that are already in the space that already have that built in audience in order to promote your product. But you really have to know that audience and you have to spend a lot of research time. So I'm personally a fan of building an audience first, finding your voice. And then after you're having those conversations with people, then it's much easier to monetize that audience in the future through through different products and different services that you offer. I'm in total agreement with you. That's my thought too. I, I think one of the reasons why we both have that same answer is that we, we've launched products before. 
right? And we've sometimes learned the hard lessons of why it's mo more important to have an audience before you have a product, right? So I talk to a lot of people all the time that they want to start their own businesses. I'm sure you do too, and it's the same story. I don't, I don't really have a product. I, I can't really think of a, a really good product to go to market. Uh, that, that doesn't mean you can't start your, your business now. I mean, start building up an, an audience with generating content, wherever you generate content and however you do it. Do that right now. Build up an audience before you even know what you want, what product you want to sell. Because oftentimes, people will tell you exactly what they want that they can't find, and it's going to revolve around the content that, that you're putting out. So there's your product right there. Um, I, I know a lot of people who, you know, especially a lot of inventors uh, who have patents. And they get their patents, they spend so much money designing a product, and they don't really know if there's a product fit there, but they don't have an audience to sell to. And it might take you three years to, to really invent something. It might take you five years to build up an audience and enough sales to, to really have a viable business. And it's one of those things where, where building a product is, I, I don't want to say it's the easy part because there's so many intricacies involved, but building an audience, the audience will tell you exactly what they like and what they don't like. So you mm -hmm. can use that as your market research. Uh, Twitter is a great example of this where you can go direct to a lot of people. I've secured a, a, a lot of feedback and information and even interviews and contacts with people just by DMing them on Twitter. And so it's one of those things that you have these tools at your fingertips to use for your product research. So before you ever get down that road of, of investing a lot of time and energy and money, use that time instead to find out what the audience really wants, what problems you could be solving. And even you could do it through surveys, you could do it through one-on-one -on -one phone calls. These are opportunities that you can talk directly to your potential buyers and they'll tell you if something is useful or not, if they find a fit for the for that product in their workday. Because I think that that's where we really have to start thinking about the attention-driven economy and how we have to find a way to make our products fit within the workday or people's off time. Because we're, we're as, as creators, as marketers, we're not just competing with, you know, direct competition. We're creating with, we're, we're competing with Netflix. We're create, we're competing with Disney plus um, the Kim Kardashians of the world. That's we're in an attention driven economy and you have to make sure that your product can capture that attention, not just from a marketing perspective, but also from a use perspective, because if they're not using it, then it's not going to last very long either. I, and that's one of the guarantees in life is that, that your customer or the end user is going to tell you what they think of your product. And they're going to be very Maybe. honest about it. <laughs> Which I is mean, a good thing. I, I think I, some of my some of my ideas for, for 2021 coming through is direct feedback mm -hmm. from people who have purchased from me in the past. So they are structuring how I'm going to offer products and services in the future based directly off of their feedback. And that's the best way to, to design products is to, directly from feedback is to throw out something that is not not perfect whatsoever and get the feedback from it because the people who believe in it, people who who see the, the idea or the dream and want to utilize that product just the same way you do are going to, to continue to buy in and they're, they're going to love being part of the process. Absolutely. People love to see the behind the scenes of how a product is being made, how it comes to life. And if they can have a hand and they almost feel like that they have an investment in that product as well. And, and when they succeed, they almost feel like they're a part of that success as well. Mm -hmm. 
Both of those stories include content marketing lessons that bring us back to those initial fears mentioned earlier in the show. Don't be afraid to take those next steps in your marketing. Create educated experiments, pay attention to what is driving revenue, talk to your customers and your target audience a lot, be consistent and be patient. Don't let that fear of equipment stop you. Because no matter if you're a one-person marketing team, a three-person startup, or a family-operated business that's been open for decades, these are examples of stories that your brand could be telling if you just let go of those fears. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As always, you can find more of my work over at digitaldispatch.io and freightschoolplaybook.com. You can also follow me on social media, which I'll link to in the show notes. But until next time, my name is Blythe Bremley, and I will see you real soon.